Welcome back to Let's Talk About Skills, Baby, the podcast where we discover what skills can help you live your best life. I am your host, Kelly Ryan Bailey, and each week I chat with inspiring visionaries about the skills that make them successful. You'll get a firsthand account of how they develop those skills, as well as their innovative approaches to improving skills-based hiring and learning around the world. Now, let's talk about skills, baby. This week, I'm joined by Michelle Daniel. Michelle is a founding member and chair of the Board of Constructing Our Future. She is currently a fourth-year doctoral student in the American Studies program at New York University while living in Indianapolis with her husband. She is interested in excavating the collateral consequences of criminal convictions for people and families directly impacted by mass incarceration. Michelle's advocacy extends beyond the classroom through collaborations and opportunities to speak truth to power. While incarcerated, she presented legislative testimony on a reentry alternative she created that was approved by the Indiana State Interim Committee on the Criminal Code. As a subject matter expert, she serves in the development and operation of task forces, think tanks, and initiatives to reduce harm and end mass incarceration. Michelle is currently under contract with the New Press to publish the history of Indiana's carceral institutions for women with fellow incarcerated and formerly incarcerated scholars. As an artist, Michelle is interested in finding ways to funnel her research pursuits into theater, dance, and photography. Her original play, The Duchess of Stringtown, co-authored with Anastasia Smith, was produced in December 2017 in Indianapolis and New York City. Her artist installation about stigma, Point of Triangulation, ran in September to October 2019 at NYU Galantine Gallery in New York. In March of 2020 at the Beyond the Bars Conference at Columbia University, and in November 2020 through to January at the African American Museum in Philadelphia with a mural to follow in spring 2021. Wow, Michelle, I am so amazingly impressed and I'm so excited that you came to join us today. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. So, I mean, I just want to jump in. I know like these highlights are absolutely amazing in your journey, but I would love to just hear a little bit more about sort of what's led you here today. Sure. So I was a girl who was born and raised in Indianapolis, Indiana. I was born to a mother with a single parent home. My brother left home when he was 17 and I was removed from my mother's home as a teenager. And I grew up in the system. I, I went from foster care to the guardian home, and I ultimately ended up matriculating, turning 18 and a group home. And I had had a son and I wasn't able to parent well either. And as a result, my, my son passed as, as, as my failure there as a parent. I spent 20 years in incarceration, over 20 years of incarceration for failing to parent my son while he died in my care. And that was some deep spiritual and emotional trauma and work that took me years, decades to deal with. I felt unworthiness. I felt self-hatred. I felt shame and guilt. I felt abandoned by my parent and family. And so coming back 
from all of that loss. I was also married at the time and near the end. And so I lost the husband and I suffered significant trauma and abuse from him. And so climbing up that mountain of trauma, pain and loss and getting up to the other side so that I could look out to the world required tremendous intensive therapy and support. I found in my community and in the Black community, two Black women who became my mothers in fact, and they helped me through the trauma. They parented me. They loved me. They helped me heal through all that occurred. And, and both of those mothers are still in my lives today. They are my mothers. They are my family. I would not have made it without strong Black women in my life who came alongside me when I was most fragile and most wounded from life. And truly a woman who looked back at how she had failed everyone. And instead of them abandoned me as well. They were like, let us help you. They both flew to St. Croix for my wedding in 2020, and they stood by my side and were still in my corner. But they gave me a foundation. They helped reinforce a spiritual foundation, as well as a community-oriented foundation that said, to whom much is given, much is required. And I was given much from them. I was able to, after 20 years of incarceration, not only just lift my head up and survive incarceration, I was able through their support and their love, I figured out a way to thrive in a carceral setting. And I would not have done that or been able to do that without those powerful black women. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, first off, thank you so much for sharing this story. I can't help but just be more amazed at, you know, what things I've just mentioned that you've become today, hearing this journey that you've had to go through. So thank you, first off, for just sharing that. I usually don't, but today I felt I, I felt comfortable to do so. I'm so glad that you did. Sometimes sharing our stories can help other people that maybe, maybe it's not the exact same place they are in, but they may be in a place of struggle as well. And just knowing that uh, other people out there, it's not always what we see from the outside, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And struggles relative. Someone can be completely have their lives turned completely upside down by a major illness or a temporary incarceration or a loss of a family member. So, you know, struggles relative. It's so true because it just depends on what your circumstances. I'd love to lean on this relationship with these women you mentioned. When did you meet them in your journey? So I met them after my son passed and I was very alone and they were part of the African-American community that celebrated Kwanzaa and, and I went to one of those events and watched and took it all in and ended up in a conversation with them at one of these events and that conversation led to like a dinner the dinner led to, you know, sitting on the floor of their home and listening to them and learning from them. That's amazing. I can only imagine just the perseverance of going through what you had to go through and imagining all the other things you must have learned through that is quite amazing. I know that I wouldn't be the woman who I am today had I not had their spirit and their support. Many times I wanted to just give up and I would be in conversation with one of my mothers and I would call her and I would be just overwhelmed by incarceration and everything that had gone wrong and feeling it and living in it and hurt. And she would say, <laughs> oh, Lord, 
she would say, sweetie, you have two minutes to whine and complain. And then I want to hear about what you're doing. She helped reframe your mind, it sounds like, right? Right. And, and I was like, oh, okay. And then it made me like, go, what's the worst thing I want to spend my two minutes on? It made me, yeah, it made me reframe. But and also when I would talk about those things, she would be like, how big is your God? And I would say, what are you talking about? She's like, you need to grow your God. Obviously, you feel that what you're going through and what you've gone through and what has happened to you and where you've fallen short is beyond the capacity of your current God to help you through. And she said, it sounds like your God is too small. <laughs> and I would sit there and look at her like, that's not what the average person would be saying to a human being. They would be like, pray about, you know, you're in our prayers. You know, we're going to help you. <laughs> she, would, <laughs> she would say, yeah, no, your, your God is too small. She said, if you think about it, there's absolutely nothing that God can't handle. No situation, no failure in humanity, no failure in the planet that is incapable for God to redeem, heal. Right. And so today I have a spiritual foundation. My belief system is not something that you put in a box. It doesn't fit you can't buy it off a shelf. It is a hodgepodge of traditions and practices that I have put into place over the years and have been proven to work for me. And so I don't have a cookie cutter Christianity or a cookie cutter faith. I actually love that you said that though, because you know the point of this, although the title of this podcast being about skills, right? The point of it is actually finding your unique self, the things that work to build out what is your, you know, unique situation. It's intimately related to my belief system. I had to believe that there was value left in me, that there was worth left in me. I had to believe that there was a God that believed in me and that could redeem me from my failure, and my, my losses. I'm young, right? This, this, my life blows up and I'm 15 years old, you know? 15, 16 years old, and you think that you're never going to come back from these things. But working with my moms helped me reframe that. And that becomes a key thing that I build off of everything else. There's certain beliefs that I have. Number one, it is done unto me as I believe. Now that's scriptural, but it's also part of new thought and religious science background. You know, I read Neville as much as I read King. You know, really, it all comes down to the mindset, right? And and that is actually, as you can attest to, a taught, you know, skill, right? You have to, and it is taught in the hardest possible way. Right. Incarceration is one of the incubators of a compression out of stressors and trauma and reinscription of criminality. I mean, I'm testing out these practices under the most extreme conditions. So if they work for me in there, then they'll work for me, period. Exactly. One of the things I know that works for me is a vision board. One of the things that I know that works for me is affirmations on the wall, affirmations that are visual. One of the things that my mom told me is that I always go back to the things that she, when we, she came to my wedding and one of the things we got to do is just kind of like sit out on the beach and talk about life. And 
I told her what got me through 20 years of incarceration. Mm-hmm. And often I would come back to these things that she said in a letter or things the other mom said in a visit, and they were just talking. And I was getting like the pearls of wisdom to live by and the God bag. I don't know if you've ever heard of the God bag. One of the things that I used to do was worry and stress and ruminate and wash and repeat about things that were out of my control. And I hated when people would just say, oh, just pray about it. Like that's going to stop you from thinking about it. And so my mom sent me in this thing called how to create a God bag. And you just get a funky old bag and you you put a date, you put what the, the worry is, and you have this thing of folding it up putting it in the God bag, tying the bag. It's literally the physical, mental, releasing things into God's hands in this bag. The practice of it actually took some of the day-to-day worrying, 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 not knowing what's going to happen. It took it out of my physical body and this practice of using this God bag. These are like the daily practices that help keep you from going down. Um, that's the way that I look at it because life just has its ups and downs. And it's funny that you say this, like, I actually really like that idea, that physical motion of things and putting it somewhere and tying the bag makes such a huge difference. In my case, the physical writing of something down was just like, okay, it's, it's here now. (laughs) Right. Right. Well, and then I decorated the bag, right? It had God bag and glitter (laughs) and it made it special, but it also, I I literally still have it. Like I literally still have this bag that has gone through decades. That's the best part, right? Years have gone by (laughs) and and I got to the point where I was like only putting in there like the truly, I can't solve this problem. This is out of my hands type of worries. And it was amazing to come back and see things in there from 97, 99. Cause I really started looking at it when I got home. And it's so, it's its own joy. It's its own celebration moment to see how God will work things out for you and how people will be brought into your life. Like, oh my gosh, this wasn't solved the way I thought it was, but I met this person, this person came in my life. And it's an amazing way to look back. And I love seeing things with my handwriting. My handwriting has changed over the years. And that was interesting to see, right? Decades of just kind of like my journey in prayer. Yeah. Yeah. In my mind, now that I know you're so creative with things, I can 100% see you like writing the most amazing book I've ever read. (laughs) I just, I, I have a desire to write a book book. I mean, we are writing a book on the history project right now, but I do have a desire to write a book book. You know why? Because I think like we talk a lot about young women needing to have people to look up to that sound like them and look like them and have had struggles that they've had so that they can understand that they're not alone. Like there's so much power in knowing that you're not the only one. I totally agree. A key book that was transformative for me was Susan Burton's book called Becoming Miss Burton. And it was a story about her life as a drug addict and her back and forth cycling in and out of incarceration and the loss of her son and how traumatic that was because he was uh, killed by police and how her cycle of addiction kept destroying things in her life and she would rebuild it and would destroy and rebuild. And then she got to the point where she was like done 
and she decided to create these transitional living houses for women across California. And it started with one, and it was one plan to help one house of women get their lives together. And now she has like 10 transitional houses across the state. She's seeding transitional houses across the country with her safe housing network. But I remember when I read her book, I read her book at a time when I was trying to step out. I was planning for my release. I had just signed my contract with NYU and I was in a moment of being shook by fear. Like, crap, am I really going to do this? Am I gonna really do this from being inside to going out into the world? You know, I've signed this contract, it's gone out. It says that I agree to certain things as a graduate student. I'm gonna go into this program in New York. I have signed my name. This is real, real, real now. And I was shook by fear. And Dr. Kaufman had sent, Dr. Kaufman is the founder of the higher education program inside. And she got this book through another lady and, and someone had given it to her. And she was like, do you want to read this? And I was like, sure. And I took it and I read it in a weekend and it was transformative. So Susan Burton today, you know, I consider her a mentor. Constructing Our Future is a part of her Safe Housing Network. I didn't know that. That's amazing. Yeah. And I, and I literally called her twice last week and I'm a part of the community of formerly incarcerated women leaders who are doing transitional housing. But having her story out there was an important encouragement at a time when I was feeling a little fearful. Fear can stop you, right? Like that's the yeah. thing. And so to hear that story, that's why I think these stories are so powerful. Yeah. And she's a powerful woman and I respect her so much. And her example has inspired me. Honestly, in the space that I'm in, the reentry space, housing space, on the national level, there are other amazing African-American women that I can look to for inspiration. But I didn't know that at the time. Right. I was, you know, I'm in Indianapolis in this little space. And that book was the only thing that was really known to me. It helped me a lot. My copy is so dog-eared, it's ridiculous. Oh, no, I bet. I was going to say, you must have like, I, whenever I have one of those books, I have like post-it notes sticking out, things highlighted, <laughs> yes. all these pages turned in. Yes, <laughs> yes. You know, I, I don't know if you've heard of the Kennedy Forum. The Kennedy Forum is held by the descendants of the Kennedys. Each year's a theme and social justice and change and things like that. So I got invited to the Kennedy Forum to kind of talk about my story. But I, when they told me that I was being paired with Susan, I was so excited oh. that I didn't even talk about myself. I spent my entire panel interviewing her. But it's what, yeah, but when you get to meet one of those, you just want it, to know I more. told her she was my hero. She was my hero. She signed my book. And little did I know we would be really working together now. But my first time meeting her in Chicago, I just, total fangirl, total like, oh my God, there she is. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, I feel like you're going to be that for so many women because they will have been in a place where they needed to be able to connect to someone. And that's the great thing, right? About having these ideas and going out there and pushing past that fear, which is also an amazing skill that is hard to learn. Yes. But you've done it that. <laughs> yes, it is, right? One of the things that helps me is being prepared. Okay, so like I've done at countless conferences and panels and things like that and stood up in front of people and talk about various topics. But I also have sung for years and years in the choir. And 
And there's something about being prepared that takes away my anxiety, getting up there and singing a song that I know or ad-libbing on a song that I know is empowering in a way and it takes away the fear. So that kind of practice I take to this work as well. I mean, I, one, of the first, one of the first big presentations I gave was to the entire Vera Institute for Justice. And I was very nervous because when I walk out, I know that I'm representing not only, you know, the formerly incarcerated population, but also women Black women. So it's like, are they going to give other women like me opportunity if I mess this up? But I, preparation like gets rid of my anxiety. It's like if I have time to run through everything before, or if I'm really well versed in a subject, if I'm well read in a subject, I learned that if you know what you know and you speak about what you know and you're earnest and you're sincere and you deliver very powerfully, then you can do, I'm telling myself in the mirror, you can do this. You know this stuff. You do not need to be freaking out at this moment. It feels like now that I've heard this and I feel like honestly we could talk forever, but I really want to make sure that we hone in a little bit on constructing our future because I really think the work that you're doing is amazing. Before you read Susan's book, was this part of what was in your mind? Like, how do I help other women that potentially are in my same place? Oh, absolutely. The, the whole point, the whole point of my spiritual understanding, my spiritual background is service. The way in which I can understand the way in which I can heal the rift in the spiritual universe by the ways in which I have fallen short in the past, right? And, and let my son down and let my family members down is through service. Mm-hmm. I'm healing through service. So of course I thought, get out here, get in my degree program and then begin to see how I can serve. I had always planned to be a part of Constructing Future. I was a part of the group that created it inside. And so I didn't know what particular role but I definitely wanted to be a part. And then the existing board members suggested that I be voted in as board president mm-hmm. because the leadership needed to be represented by a formerly incarcerated a woman leadership. I was voted in. I took that position very seriously. From the very, from the very beginning, we needed to figure out how to create an effective infrastructure for the organization because you don't come out of your mother's womb knowing how to run a board or run an organization or how to recruit people or, or staff. You don't know how to raise money. You don't know, you don't know how to run a business mm-hmm. and nonprofit or otherwise. And so we spent a couple of years, we had an ED that we had ultimately let go because he wasn't a great fit, but we actually contracted with the organization to teach us all of the infrastructure work that we needed to do, fiduciary responsibility to the organization, all that stuff. And so the organization today, having started through an idea of one incarcerated woman who is still in, she's getting closer and closer to her outdate. I can't wait till she's home. But it's her idea. And it was developed by the other women in the public policy class. And it came out from the facility and has been literally being plugged in and implemented in real time right now. And we're, we're very proud of that. It, it helps dispel these notions about believing women, about can formerly incarcerated people problem solve for their own issues. I mean, it disrupts all of those narratives about what this population, what we can or cannot do or should or should not reach for. Are you guys disrupting these notions like in with the women themselves that are coming out or... And or 
with society at large? Because a lot of the women who are out knew about us all along. They heard about us in classes, you know, they know who we are, but we also communicate with them on a regular basis. We have over a thousand members in our post-incarcerated women's network mm -hmm. Facebook group. It's a closed group. And we verify that every woman who's in that group is formerly incarcerated. Okay. And so we are already plugged in with our own female woman community. What we are trying to do, and it's particularly a very conservative, evangelical Republican state like Indiana, we're trying to show what is capable, what is the capacity of uh, formerly incarcerated women to get done yeah. in the state and problem solve for themselves. And that's what it's about. So what is Construct Our Future is a home, it's a transitional, safe, welcoming home for formerly incarcerated women that when they are in Constructing Our Future and living in our home, they have two options on the educational track or construction track so that they can either get, finish a credential that they started in prison or before and didn't get done. Um, or they can go the vocational track because there are some vocational programs that are inside, but maybe they're uh, not in a place where they can go right into an apprenticeship or a journeyman situation. You know, we're looking to partner with local colleges that are doing vocational training to support women finishing that, mm -hmm. right? And, and then in terms of their other needs, we're partnering with local organizations like Pace Indie that will do their substance use support, that will do some of their... Uh, career assessment support and so what we're going to do is do what we do well provide mm -hmm. that safe welcoming home environment allow women to do reunification with their children there allow them to not have to worry about being unsafe at night and living in a situation that isn't secure mm -hmm. and allow them to moment to breathe <laughs> and and then support them as they figure out how to create the capacity to sustain themselves Mm -hmm. that's what Constructing Our Future is all about. One of the things that we're going to do then is in our partnering with one organization, we will partner with another to allow their women to come through us. Yes. And we become a place where women can funnel in through, right? And mm -hmm. so it, it's, all, it's all possible when you recognize what your strengths are and what your limitations are and you get yourself out there to you know, meet people learn what they're doing. A lot of people, a lot of organizations out there are niche organizations and mm -hmm. they are, they're not large enough to supply all of the needs of a re-entering person, but they do have a piece and you right. can plug into that piece. How do you guys find each other? So in our city, there's a group called the Marion County Reentry Coalition. Mm -hmm. And this reentry coalition is composed of both state, but also local nonprofits okay. that are providing direct services to, to the population. And so those type of coalitional hubs where you meet people, and then you also meet people through your funders. Your funders know everybody. Yep. One of our funders introduced us to my lawyers, our lawyers. <laughs> introduced us to an organization that we are looking to get volunteer workers to come and help when it's time to start looking at houses to renovate and stuff like that. Okay, cool. The funders, particularly local funders, they know, they know. I mean, there's also a lot of, to be honest, there's a lot of people who don't want to work with the former incarcerated populations because they have the needs of 
needing to report to probation and parole. Some of them might have cases that people don't agree with and all this other stuff. And so what Constructing Our Future does is that we don't allow any of those barriers to exist between providing services to our women. We're not going to do that. And so this is why it's important for formerly incarcerated leadership to be in charge of organizations that are looking to serve that population. Because they understand fully. They understand, and they're not going to reinscribe criminality and re-traumatize people in order to give them access to resources and opportunity. In other words, I'm not gonna need to know someone's story in order to determine whether or not they get a, a bed. So we're not going to reinscribe harm. We're not gonna do it unless that individual wants to go there. Like today, right. I was felt, felt comfortable in going there. That was my choice, right? But that, but it has to always be the individual's choice. Yes, so true. Reinscribing trauma on an individual who's already gone through, right? Mm-hmm. For what purpose? So that someone can eat it and consume it. It's like, what, what is that about? I think it's so powerful when someone is comfortable at that point in their journey to share their story, because that's the kind of way that we help others because they can see it for its true light and not from an entertainment perspective. I think that the way in which society is currently set up, there is the myth of doing your time, that you do the time you, you do the crime, you do the time. You've, and once you've done that, then you've paid your quote unquote, paid your debt to society. And that that is it. Of course, you know, because the collateral consequences of criminal convictions, the legal ones are on the books, top over 45,000 in the country that are legal barriers to formerly incarcerated people reentering society. So you know there's the legal. The legal derives from the social. And the social collateral consequences of criminal convictions literally apply a taint of criminality upon formerly incarcerated people that follows through or run out the, the, the existence of their life. I met a woman who, 20 years since her outdate, and she'd been home. She wanted to go for a real estate license in her state, okay? 20 years. And after she'd done all her time, got home home, been home two decades, okay? She still had to go back to her parole office and beg them for a letter saying, haven't I been a good person for 20 years? Can you please give me a good person letter? Because I want to be a real estate agent. What does that do for that human being in her mental, emotional, psychic self to two decades past her being home that she still has to go through this perpetual description of criminality upon her in order to get access to opportunity. It says mm-hmm. that you are perpetually a criminal and you will always be that. Right. And so, so it puts the myth, that myth in the high relief and that it is truly more less, less a myth, but more just straight up a lie. Right. So my job is to not cause any harm to women who are being served by our organization to ensure that they don't go through that as they seek resources and opportunity while they're a part of constructing our future until we can change it. Right. And I think this is such a good point. You're right. Like it can't all be changed at once, but you keep going like those incremental steps. When you all of a sudden turn around and look at them all together, it's going to seem like a huge big deal. We're just putting our work in the God bag and we're going to look back. We're going to look back and see 
all the wonderful things that we've been able to get accomplished. I mean, I have faith. I, I have faith in our ability to make radical change. If I didn't, I'd go somewhere else and do something else. I mean, state of Indiana is one of the more tougher places to live in order to make this type of change. So if I wanted to have a little easier experience, I'd go somewhere else, like California, maybe, I don't know. The fact is that that's like where you grew up, right? And so, you know, I, I understand the feeling of not wanting to leave people in a situation that, you know, it's all of the hardness of it. Well, and you have a heart for the place. Yeah. You, you care, you love a space, you believe in the people who are there. And so you work for those people. And that's I think what adds to the thoughts around sort of how you've taken what you've learned in your life through a challenging situation into something that, you know, again, everyone heard what I read at the beginning. And that is just like, just this moment in time, I can't even imagine how many more things you will accomplish through your entire life. You've created your own version of success, taking uniquely what is yours. And I, I applaud you so much for this. And I see this as being the way a lot of people are starting to reframe their own reality is it's not easy, but as you can see, like it's so, so worth it. Well, because your life work should also be heart work. It should be doing some spiritual, some spiritual heart work for you. If it's only drudgery and burden, you are going to shorten your lifespan. I have a lot to do every single day, but I remind myself that this is the life I wanted. And I have the life I want, a life of advocacy and service and education and instruction and constant learning and partnership and collaboration and spirit and dance. I love how you've just taken all the things and just like made that and and you followed all the things that warm your heart and it really does show. So if you could say, if you could pass on to anyone that could possibly listen to this, what would be the one last thing you would share to people, whether it be on the personal professional, it is up to you. I would say to whom much is given, much is required. And if you look about your life and you see that you have Much is required of you. Much is being asked of you. You haven't been given just for your own personal enjoyment. You know, much is required of you beyond yourself. And when you find what that thing is that you're supposed to be doing for others, you will have a warmer heart. You will have a lighter heart. And you will sleep better. And you will get more joy out of life. And you will laugh so much more. And your life will be far more rewarding. My mother told me to grow my God, and it was the best thing she could have ever told me to do. But more importantly, it was the best thing I did for myself. I feel like I belong now in a way in which I didn't feel before. I have taken up my space in the planet, and it feels good. And so I think that that's what I would tell people. I'm getting teary-eyed again because it is so meaningful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. For those of you that would like to follow Michelle, I just want to let you know that she is available. Um, Michelle Daniel, she's on LinkedIn. She's also on Twitter at C-O-F underscore Michelle with two L's. And she's also on Instagram at Michelle underscore the truth. And Constructing Our Future, can you can find more information about them directly on their website, constructingourfuture.com. I highly suggest you check them out, support them, you know, join them. If you are in a position to do so, I think it 
would just be amazing to continue to grow this. And of course, as you said, to potentially other regions as well that could use this kind of help. We're on the verge of getting our first house and we are absolutely ecstatic. To 2021 is our year. To 2021. <laughs> You've been listening to Let's Talk About Skills, Baby, a Growth Network podcast production. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your community. Ratings, reviews, and suggestions are great sources of feedback and always appreciated. And please reach out and connect with me on social at Kelly Ryan Bailey. I'd love to meet you and continue the conversation. We'll be back next week with a new episode. So until then, keep growing your skills and have a great day.